Hi, this is Happy Traum. You're listening to Traditions over 89.1 FM, WFDU in Teaneck. You can also catch the show on the internet at www.wfdu.fm. Happy listening! Step it up and go. The one and only Happy Traum. And Happy will be appearing yeah, <laughs> Happy will be appearing next uh, Sunday afternoon, March the 25th, at the Borderline, uh, the Borderline Folk Music Club at the uh, Nanuet Library, located at 149 Church Street in Nanuet. It's a 1.30 show, 1.30 to 4. Then it's going to be a concert and also a presentation of Happy's uh, wonderful multimedia show, Coming of Age in the Greenwich Village Folk Revival. Uh, this man has done so much. Uh, he's been around since the 1950s on the folk scene in New York. He's been the editor of Sing Out magazine. He's written uh, instruction books, and he's got his own company, Homespun Tapes, which are now, I guess, CDs and videotapes, and uh, also an amazing performer. And we just happen to have him on the phone with us. Happy, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ron. How are you? I'm 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 excellent. I am so glad to be able to, to chat with you today. Uh, I am. I'm so excited you're coming back to our area. We we were honored yeah. to present the show at the Hurdy Gurdy uh, two years ago, and right. I know, know it's quite a performance and and just some of the amazing uh, uh, photographs and stories that you've gathered through such an amazing career. I, I don't know how you fit it all into into one <laughs> show. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it, it, I don't actually fit it all in. I have to edit it pretty tightly, uh, otherwise it would be a seven-hour presentation, and I think the audience would uh, would have left long ago. No, so no. I, I, I kind of cut it down to a, about an hour and 15 or 20 minutes, but it, it varies wherever I do the show. It's always a little different, and uh, I'm, I, I'm constantly coming up with different photos and different ideas for how to present them, so it's really fun, and it kind of... You know, it just kind of evolves each time I do it. Yeah, I can I can imagine, and you have so much to, to choose from. I mean, uh, I don't know how you fit it all into into one lifetime. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, right. being on the in a folk scene in the nineteen fifties, uh, the the early recordings with uh, with Dylan in the in the sixties, and and, mm -hmm. and continuing on with your brother Artie and uh, uh, yeah. Woodstock Mountains Review and all the other albums you've appeared on. Uh, it's been been quite a ride. I am. <laughs> are you still enjoying it? it? Are you still enjoying it? <laughs> I'm still enjoying it. I'm still loving to get out and play, and still learning new stuff. And you know, actually, it's new old stuff because I haven't. Most of the songs that I'm I'm enjoying playing, um, as I always have, are kind of older songs. Um, you know, it's there's there's some of us who who just love the old stuff and. Uh, although I love to listen to new stuff, it's, you know, um, I don't know. I'm just working on a big Bill Brunzi tune right now that, uh, you know, I just started listening to, and it's just so cool to, to hear him play. So, you know, it's all those old those old guys that we learned from are still relevant today. Sure, and and as as I as you as I've witnessed in your last album, just for the love of it, I mean you. You show that a folk song is not something you put on a shelf and just dust off. I mean, you really make it your own. It's, these are songs that are meant to be a, a, you know, lived through and, and experienced, uh -huh. and you, you do an amazing job of that. Um, oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. That's, that's really important because I do feel like even though the songs are old and, and might be musty and dusty in some ways, um, you know, I do try to put a I'm kind of a more... 21st century spin on them, even though they're all pretty acoustic and live in the studio. Right. Well, I also had some some great players to to bounce off of on that. You know, I mean, it couldn't get better than Larry Campbell and Byron Isaacs and David Amram and you know all these wonderful people that played with me on on this. John Sebastian, of course, has been always helping me out on various songs, you know, and yeah. recordings. It is a terrific recording, and let, let's go back to the beginning. I mean, you were born yeah. in, the, in the Bronx, and I don't right. want to—I don't want to give away your whole show here because I know you know. But we'd be on for a lot longer. Than that. We have time for. It. Uh, how, how did yeah. it all start for you in the, from going from the Bronx into the village in, the, in that early days of the folk revival? Where, where, how did it begin? Yeah. Well, the the beginning for me was was the the luck of the draw, where I was. Um, I was accepted to go to the High School of Music and Art, which was in Manhattan. So, um, and I was an art student, not a music student. I hadn't been playing. I had not been playing music yet, and so I was, you know, taken out of the Bronx in a way uh, by my high school experience, and ended up uh, going to a school where there were kids from all five boroughs, um, and some of them were into folk music and kind of leftist politics, if you will, a lot of them were sort of the red diaper babies of the day. Uh, this was McCarthy era, don't forget, in the 50s. And um, so uh, these were the kids who knew about Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly and all these uh, great, um, you know, Cisco Houston and Josh White and all these people. And so 
so I got a, a quick education uh, from other kids in high school and then started going to concerts, and that got me kind of hooked on this. I think that the thing that really just twisted my brain around was the fact that, you know, we all the music we heard was on the radio and it was all very highly polished, orchestrated, um, you know, people like Perry Como or Patty Page or, you know, Guy Lombardo, all these people that were, you know, or uh, Frankie Lane, um, you know, they, it, it sounded like you had to be in a studio with, with orchestras and, and arrangers and everything else to, to make music. And suddenly, you know, hearing Pete and Woody and all these people made me realize that all you had to do was learn how to play the guitar and you could make music and sing songs and that other people would join in with you. Mm-hmm. And, and you had and a... And that started, you know, that started the whole, you know, new life for me. And I never, never turned back from that. And you also had some great teachers, including Brownie McGee. I understand you studied yeah, with him for, for a while. That was a great thing for me, too. Uh, by, you know, I, I graduated from high school in 1966 and then went to NYU. And while I was at NYU, um, I was just in love with Brownie McGee's solo LP called Brownie McGee Blues, the little 10-inch Folkways LP. And um, one day I just got the... I got encouraged by a friend of mine who also played guitar to look him up on the phone book and call him up, and uh, that started uh, several years of a relationship with Brownie, uh, both as my teacher, and and we kind of became friends, and we actually ended up writing a book together called The Blues Guitar of Brownie um, for Oak Publications. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's still in print, but it's still can be found on eBay and places like that. <clears throat> but that was a big thrill for me to work with him on this kind of instructional book on his playing. That's amazing. And, and his, his guitar style, although I sound nothing like Brownie McGee, um, it's still his, his style really informs the way I play mm-hmm. um, and has most of my life. And, and a lot of your contemporaries who were you know, in that scene and would move into the 1960s when you know people like Dylan would come on the scene um, they were also studying and learning and it, it, it's I, I am assuming it, it was a quite different experience than what people nowadays are doing I mean nowadays we can go with the internet and such but you guys yeah everything's available and it's wonderful but there was something fabulous about going to a record store and and sort of poking through all the different records to find you know these songs in fact there used to be a a record store on fifth avenue it was double day, a double day record store it was a book and record store and they had listening booths so you could listen to a record before you bought it and i used to go in there and they had folkways records and riverside records and some of these companies that were putting out kind of american traditional music and we used to spend way too much time in there just sampling these different records and listening in the booth, and then of course I couldn't afford to pay the three dollars and fifty cents for an LP that they cost then. <laughs> so uh, you know, but I did start getting a record collection together, and and the thing is, these voices of you know these old timers that were recorded in the twenties and early thirties came through to us like voices from some distant romantic place, you know, Appalachia or Mississippi or you know, cowboy. Um, you know, Western areas. And you never thought you'd actually hear these people live in person, that they were actually existed. It was just these sort of scratchy old voices. And it was there was something so appealing 
and uh, and almost romantic about you know hearing basketball or Lundford playing some tune from uh, Western North Carolina. Um, you know, or hearing Mississippi John Hurt playing Spike Driver's Blues. It was just a amazing um, journey back in time, and uh, for us, it was it was just mind boggling, but. Uh, nowadays, you can just go on YouTube and hear all this stuff. That's that's true, and it, it's. Uh, I think they're still inspirational for, for new generations, including mine. I mean, I'm not that I'm not that much younger. I'm, I'm I was born in 1957, so I, I kind of uh-huh. grew up in the in the beginning of the, the folk revival. But you know, going back now, I think a, a lot of our musicians are inspired by by people like yourself and others like Phil Oakes, Bob Dylan, and all those. Yeah people that gathered around the village. How did that whole scene develop? I mean, it was people like yourself and others. I mean, what, what all attracted you to the village? Well, the village was where the nonconformists were, and it was always where even Pete, Pete Seeger and the Almanac Singers had a little apartment way before my time that Woody and Leadbelly and Brownie and Sonny and all those people would hang out in, and they, they had the Almanac Singers. They called it Almanac House, and that was in the village. And even... You know, going back to the 20s, the village was where, um, you know, the bohemians, the writers, the artists, uh, the poets hung out. So it was kind of a natural place for the folk music revival to start up. And it really started in Washington Square Park in the 1940s. Um, I came on the scene in the 50s, and um, I met all these fabulous people uh, that some became lifelong friends. Uh, Tom Paley, who recently passed away, and also the late John Harold and uh, Mike Seeger and uh, Mary Travers, who was later in Peter, Paul, and Mary, of course. And, um, you know, they were just, um, Dave Van Ronk became a good friend. All these people were hanging around Washington Square on Sundays playing music, and that was kind of where I got my main musical education. And they'd be bluegrass people in one corner, led, usually led by Roger Strong, who was a big, hulking banjo player and wonderful uh, leader and, and he'd be in, in one corner of the park and there'd be calypso singers with the jug band players and there'd be people singing Pete Seeger songs somewhere you know it was it was just this cacophony of different styles and music and um, you know that's where a lot of us uh, got our, our start and made friendships in fact there was a guy I used to play with in Washington Square in 19 mid 50s uh, named Barry Kornfeld, who was a banjo player and guitar player. He's still a friend. I just had dinner with him the other day, which was, uh, you know, a total treat because we were the same age and uh, came up exactly the same way. Uh, have you ever attended any of the reunions that they do? I know every, like, August or so, they have a little uh, reunion in Washington Square Park. Yeah, they're in September. I went to the first one and uh, had a really good time. Uh, unfortunately, in the last, since that time, and it's that event has coincided with an event uh, called IBMA, which is the International Bluegrass Music Association. And my wife Jane and I are sponsors there, so we go to North Carolina uh-huh. uh, every year. So we missed um, miss the Washington Square reunion. Uh, if maybe this year they won't be the same weekend, <laughs> and, and I'll be. If, if so, I'll come down and see 
see which of who of us is left. Sure. So the, the herd is thinning, unfortunately. Well, you I, know. I also see a lot of younger people coming up watching and then being inspired, too, so that, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, for, yeah. For, for those audience who are just tuning in, our guest today is Happy Traum, and uh, Happy is going to be appearing next Sunday at 1.30 at the Nanuet Library as part of the Borderline Folk Music Club series. It'll be a park concert and uh, a multimedia show, Coming of Age in the Greenwich Village Folk Revival. And in, during that revival, uh, I don't know how many of our audience knows this, but you were the part of the group that w- first recorded Blowing in the Wind, the New World Singers. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, when according to even Bob Dylan's book Chronicles, um, uh, one of the one of the members of our group, Dolores Dixon, was a um, wonderful uh, gospel style African American singer, uh, just a beautiful singer, and uh, still is. Um, and and um, she used to sing this slave era song called "No More Auction Block for Me," right. uh, which other people have recorded as well. Odetta used to do it, and other people. But Dolores had a particularly beautiful version of it. And Bob says that was the inspiration for "Blowing in the Wind." And uh, I think we were the first group to, for him to give it to. Um, he taught it to Gil Turner, who was the lead singer in our group, and kind of the de facto leader of the group. And um, when we went into a Folkways recording session with Phil Oaks and Pete Seeger and uh, Peter Lafarge and all these people, the freedom singers from Albany, Georgia, and Bob Dylan, who was uh, blind boy grunt <laughs> to that session because he had just signed to Columbia Records. Um, and we sang and recorded Blowing in the Wind. Bob was standing about three feet away as we did it. So that was quite a, quite a time. And of course, we knew what a fantastic song it was. Um, but uh, unfortunately, we didn't, we didn't have the million-selling hit that people <laughs> on Mary did or other, Stevie Wonder or whoever. You know, it's been recorded by thousands of people by now. Right. We always remember who did it first. That, that's what counts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know during your, the, the, the show you have such wonderful photos, you know, personal photos and photos that you've collected that you share uh-huh. as part of this program. Um, and a lot of memories. I, I think one memory that I, I think we ought to talk about is, is your, your late brother, Artie. Uh, yeah. I think it's been 10 years since he passed away. Just about. It'll be 10 years in July, uh, which is hard to believe. I mean, I just, it really seems impossible that it's been that long since we've seen him. But, um, yeah, I mean, not only being my only sibling, but being my musical partner for 40 years, um, he was certainly a a vital part of our lives, my whole family, you know, obviously was very much uh, connected. And Artie was a, a, for those of you who don't know or want to try to find him uh, on YouTube or other parts of the web, he was a um, quite a brilliant musician, guitar player, songwriter, um, and a, a quick-witted guy who would always make you laugh. And um, just uh, somebody who, even though he was, my younger brother, I did look up to him in many ways, mm-hmm. and we we were, you know, um, played the Newport Folk Festival together a couple of times, and and went on the road for about ten years, and then uh, kept coming back together for various events and things through the through the years. Pretty much, we did our last gig about a month before he his illness wow. uh, showed up. So, you know, we it was it was a big loss sure. to lose him, but but he was a, a tremendous musician and um, storyteller and, mm-hmm. and lots of other things. 
I want to share a recording of the two of you that uh, was recorded at Cafe Lena in Saratoga Springs, another historic uh-huh. venue. Uh, it's a song called Trials of Jonathan. Do you, do you have any stories behind this song? Well, that was one of the few songs that we actually wrote together. Uh, it was really, that was, you know, most of the songs that we played together that were originals, either he wrote or I wrote. A couple of them we would, you know, contribute a little bit to, but this one we actually sat down in a house up here in Woodstock uh, when we were making our very first album for Capitol Records, which was going to be our foray into the big time, <clears throat> which had never really happened, but uh, we made two records for Capitol. And, um, you know, we, we developed it around a guitar riff, and, uh, you know, on our record we had bass and drums and keyboards and all this stuff, but I think the rec- recording you're going to play is maybe just the two of us uh, playing, but you'll hear the the guitar riff that kind of kicks off the whole, the whole thing, and uh, you know that's about what I remember about the song.
And that's Happy and Artie Traum, recorded a number of years back at Cafe Lena in Saratoga Springs, New York. And, and Happy is with us on the phone today. You know, Happy, when I first started doing the radio here, where there was a, another DJ that was on. And every week he used to play one of the songs that you and your brother did, uh, Crab, Crab Joint. Remember that one? Oh, Crab Shack. Crab yeah. Shack, Crab Shack, yeah. I, every week I'd play it, and I, I, that was, it, it's still ingrained in my memory. I don't remember the words all the time. But. Oh, that's funny, yeah. <laughs> that has some great words, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't write that one, but it, that, was, that was when we did almost every show. Right. That was a great recording. I remember it well. Um, so many wonderful recordings, and, you know, I, th- I think everybody uh, really first began, began to recognize you with, with Bob Dylan, um, well, he rec- he invited you to be part of his uh, sessions for some of his early recordings. How did that all? Well, how did you first meet Bob? I, I assume in the village, obviously. But uh, can you yeah. tell us a little bit more about him? Yeah, he had come into the, into New York uh, in about 1961 or so, and there was an immediate buzz around the folk community. Everybody was talking about this new kid that just showed up that was different from everybody else somehow. And um, he he befriended Gil Turner, who was the guy, as I mentioned earlier, who was the lead singer and the kind of lead person in the New World Singers. Um, and this was before I joined the group. Uh, it was a trio with Bob Cohen and Dolores Dixon and, and Gil. Um, and Gil had met Bob, I'm not sure how, but he introduced me to Bob. And then when Bob and Susie Rodolo were living together um, and Jane, my wife, and I were um, uh we had just been married recently, and we became friendly with them and had dinner with them several times. And then we ended up uh, later on, when after Bob got world famous and then moved to Woodstock, we we renewed our acquaintance with him and with his then his new family, and uh, we became family friends for about seven years until he moved away to California. But but it was quite quite a time, and I did get to record four songs with him with just the two of us in, in the studio in 1971 and uh, they turned up on uh, Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume 2 and then the last one, one of them ended up on uh, his uh, Another Self-Portrait about maybe four or five years ago so that was those were really great sessions for me and important uh, in my life in many ways yeah, partly but, that they sound good. I think they're really good recording. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And now you you brought up Woodstock. Um, yeah. uh, you moved there with your wife and your kids back in '67, I think it was. That's right. We yeah we had we've been living in Manhattan since since we got we got married and we had three kids by this time. Manhattan in the late '60s uh, was not an easy place to raise a family, and we knew that um, John Harold, uh, who I mentioned. Uh, previously, who was in the Greenbrier Boys, had uh, moved to Woodstock, and uh, we knew that uh, there was a banjo player named Billy Fair, who we were friendly with in New York, and he lived in Woodstock, and there was a whole little music community forming, and also around Albert Grossman, who was Bob Dylan's manager, and Peter Paul and Mary's manager, and Janis Joplin, all these people. So it was a, a kind of happening scene, and we came up here in the summer of 66, and then again in 67, and we just said, why are we going back to New York? And we've been here ever since. Uh, we we built a house in 1970, and uh, just this is this is where we've lived, and it's just so beautiful here. And there's still a vibrant music community. It's of course there's been a lot of turnover, a lot of change. People 
came and went both physically and uh, geographically, I guess. Um, and there's even a, a very healthy young music scene here. So it's uh, it's still a great place to live, and we're very happy to be here. Oh, that's lovely. It is a lovely area. Contributions to the music scene, in addition to all the recordings and such, and your, your editorship of Sing Out for a number of years. Uh, right. You also started a company that has become uh, really an integral part of of the education of musicians, Homespun Tapes. I think you started that also around 1967. Started, exactly. I think, you started on cassettes or something? Was that how it first began? It was reel-to-reel tapes. Reel-to-reel, wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, little, uh, little five-inch reel-to-reel tapes. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, we had just been thinking about moving to Woodstock. We were still in New York, but just in the transition period there. And I had been teaching guitar. I'd left the New World Singers and hadn't yet started performing with Artie, but um, I needed. I was. I had a lot of guitar students, but then I started going on the road and playing more and more. When I started playing with my brother Artie, and and um, I just needed something to sustain my students, so I started making tapes for them. And then I thought, why would I make a tape for just each person when I could make one tape that, or a series of tapes that a lot of people could learn from so we started putting out little ads in sing out magazine or guitar player magazine that just started up the same year rolling stone had started the same year so we put little classified ads there and amazingly people started writing away and sending us 10 bucks or whatever it was for for these tapes so jane who was you know became immediately my business partner as well as my wife um, she would, when I would be on the road, she'd be running the tapes off on the kitchen table from a master to one or two or three slaves. And then a couple of years in, cassettes came in. And that changed a lot of stuff. So we got a high-speed cassette duplicator. And then, um, of course, then I started reaching out to other friends who also played. And so I got my brother Artie to make some tapes for us. I got Bill Keith, who had just moved to Woodstock, the great banjo master, um, uh, who we lost a couple of years ago. Um, Kenny Kosek, the fiddle player, uh, came in and did some fiddle lessons for us. And uh, it just built from there. And now we have, uh, I don't know, 500 some odd lessons. Tapes are nowhere in the picture anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, most most people under a certain age don't know what a tape is. Right. <laughs> just I, put a package together or something. or <laughs> But uh, everything is now downloadable and uh you know, on on the web, and we have a, a very active website called homespun.com. And uh, we've, I mean, some of my all-time music heroes, um, I, I feel so blessed because they recorded for us. Uh, people like Pete Seeger made a, a DVD for us. Um, Dr. John, the great piano player, Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, um, Sam Bush, um, Tony Rice. Uh, Tony Trishka, the great banjo player, Bill Keith, all these. I mean, we have oh, about 250 some odd great musicians who have recorded on Homespun. So, you know, I couldn't even begin to name them all because <laughs> there's too many really great ones. But we have blues and uh, finger picking and bluegrass and jazz and all this stuff. And it's mostly roots music, American right. roots music. And we, we're still, still getting a lot of. Um, a lot of activity. It's very encouraging and oh, great absolutely. letters from people who have learned a lot from us. 
And, and what's the website? It's homespun.com. Oh, that's easy to remember. <laughs> it's easy, yeah. Right. Oh, uh, well, happy in, in all the years that you've been doing this, and now you know here we are in twenty twenty eight. I almost said twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. It's it's a whole different world, obviously. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts on the current scene and, and the future for this roots music? Well, I think the future is healthy. Um, I see a lot of young people. Um, the children and even the grandchildren of people who who I grew up with are some of them are playing fantastic old time music or bluegrass music. There's still, uh, you know, it, it's under the radar. It's not the Katy Perry and the Jay Z and all those people who are, you know, in you know, in the top of the charts. But if you just go under the radar a little bit, you find there are bluegrass festivals and old time music festivals and singer songwriters still making great music. Um, and, um, you know, I'm very encouraged by that. And the, the ease with which people can listen to the music, even though there's a lot of controversy about the cutting into people's royalties, of course, that's a big issue. Um, it's very hard to make a living from, you know, CDs anymore. Um, but at the same time, I think we're finding that the music is so alive and accessible to so many people. Um, and I'm hearing new musicians all the time, you know, and um, uh, very exciting music that for me, you know, and people who are who are playing the old blues in, in very authentic ways because they have all these ways of hearing the, the, the originals, who are, of course, the great masters, you know, whether it's uh, Blind Willie McTell or I mentioned Big Bill Brunzi or Brandy McGee or, you know, I mean, there's just so much available music out there and the other thing that's great and which i should really mention is these music camps that are all over the country <clears throat> i'm teaching in three this year i'm doing a a, a class at your mccalkin's fur piece ranch which is a fantastic uh venue in southeast ohio near athens um and that's going to be in uh, early may um and uh that's a that's just a wonderful way to learn play and to jam with other people and then in july i'm doing richard thompson's frets and refrains camp up here in the catskills um with richard thompson and um and patty griffin and um, teddy thompson and sloan wainwright which wonderful artists um <clears throat> tony mcmanus the great finger style celtic player from scotland um and then i'm also doing jay unger's ashokan camp in Again, uh, in Shokan, New York, right, not far from Woodstock. Uh, and again, it's going to be a, a guitar instruction week. And, and these things are just ways that, and they, they're happening all over the country. I, I love to teach in these camps, and you find that um, wherever you go, California, Washington State, um, North Carolina, you know, just, just West Virginia, there's fantastic music camps where people can both learn and play with other people and it just changes people's lives. That's very exciting. Absolutely. Well, if people want to get their lives changed, I think next Sunday afternoon, uh, <laughs> they ought to uh, uh, remember that this concert is going to be taking place in Nanuet, uh, Happy Traum uh, concert, and the uh, multimedia performance of Coming of Age in the Greenwich Village Folk Revival. Stories. Yeah, that's the afternoon. It's early afternoon. Yeah. So get one... your bagels and locks and then <laughs> come on over. Right. one thirty <laughs> show at the Nanuet Library, which is located at 149 Church Street in Nanuet, uh, New York. 
And uh, happy, I, I, I see you've got such a busy schedule. You're also going to be doing a little tour this uh, late June with Jim Queskin. I know you're going to be yeah. old. Yeah, I'm looking forward Very to singing old songs. That. Yeah, Always love playing with Jim Queskin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Any Anything other projects coming yeah, up? Yeah, we're actually going to be back in that neighborhood at the Turning Point. Oh, right. That's right. You're going to be there June yeah. 21st. That's right. What a, what and uh, we're excited about that. And Jim is just a treasure trove of great old songs. Uh-huh. And as he likes to say, we... We're now playing for old people and their parents. <laughs> well, I, I hope I hope you also find some time to squeeze in some more recordings because uh, just for the love of it, it was a wonderful CD came out in 2015. Any plans yep. for anything new coming out? I've got about half of a of an idea, so I got a half half songs, so I got to just get another half of a CD's worth of songs and. Uh, I'm going to go back in the studio, I think. Okay. Well, I'll let you go and start working on that. Cause okay. <laughs> and I really, I really appreciate you taking us the time. We said, I said 10 minutes, and here we are about 40 minutes into it. And uh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I thank you so much. And uh, I really you know, wish you all the luck. This is a wonderful show. I remember when you did it at, at uh, the Hurdy Gurdy, so many people came up to me afterwards and really were, were so, so, so thankful wow. for it. The great stories oh, that you shared. And the great music that you performed, um, uh, sure, I'm sure everybody's in for an event next Sunday afternoon. Happy, again, thanks for ta- talking to us today, and uh, look forward to seeing you real soon. I hope so, too. Thank you. Okay. Happy, okay. Tra- happy Tram. Th- thanks again. And let's take, a listen to, let's take a listen now to one of uh, Happy's songs from Just for the Love of It. Here he is with Careless Love Blues.
what my mama said Yes, if I listen what my mama said What your mama say? If I had listen what my poor old mama said You know, John, I Mama's bed. I'll play that one. Don't you see what care love has done? 